You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We are aware of a sense of failure and inadequacy. And uh, we look at our lives and things remain the same. Nothing has ever changed. And at the same time within us is the desire to do better in the days that lie ahead. Well, anyway, those are just some of the thoughts that tend to come to us as we pause at any point in life and look backwards, look forwards, considering life and what life is all about. Many times your unhappiness in life is because you've wandered away from God and you're trying to do things on your own. Just like parents want the best for their children, God wants the best for you too. But nothing will help you until you have a right relationship with Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage you to stop putting off what needs to be done today. Don't just treat the symptoms. It's time to ask God to help you change and trust in Him instead of yourself. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, Reasons Not to Sin. Turn with me to where we left off last time. That would be in 1 John chapter 2. And the text that we're going to be treating this evening is found in verses 1 and 2. So 1 John chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And this evening's message, the title is Reasons Not to Sin. I don't know if you've ever uh, you know, thought about it. And of course, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, we're encouraged not to sin. But have you ever like just sat down and pondered the question, why is it exactly that I'm not supposed to sin? And what are some of the reasons, some of the incentives? I think if we would just take a, an inventory in trying to answer those questions, I think it would really help us not to sin. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, now listen, he's not making excuses for us to sin, right? But nevertheless, he's just being very realistic about it, more than likely, okay? We're going to sin sometime in the future. We're going to get mad. Maybe we're going to stretch the, the truth a little bit. Maybe we're going to say something unkind about another person. You fill in the blank, okay? But he's not suggesting or making excuses for people to sin, so don't don't misunderstand where he's going with this. So that you may not sin. 
But if anyone sins, thank God, we have an advocate with the Father. Who would that be? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. The, the word propitiation is just a big word suggesting to us that Christ died in our place for our sins. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. The Bible tells us that he became sin who knew no sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin. The propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Keep that in mind. The next time you're sizing someone up and you're thinking about, well, that person over there wouldn't be a really good candidate for Christianity or knowing God or receiving salvation. Hey, listen, remember this. Christ died for that person equally as he has for you. And just something to think about. Okay, first of all, let me begin with an observation. Let me just share a little observation, something to think about. And tell me if this isn't true. There are times, I think, in all of our lives where we find ourselves thinking about life itself, the object of life, the meaning of life, life's purpose. Like, for example, uh, when we reach certain birthday plateaus, right? I just hit my 68th birthday last week, which is really cool. But I remember back when I hit 60, I thought, oh, man, you know, now I'm, now I'm really getting old. I'm 60. Now I'm 68. And soon I'm going to be 70. In fact, I was with Greg Laurie out in California this last week. I spoke at a church out there and then attended one of the conferences. But we spent some time at his church down in Irvine, Harvest OC. We were, we were just catching up with one another. We had, I, don't think, I haven't seen Greg in about a year. And Greg said to me, he says, uh, didn't you just have a birthday? And I said, yeah. He says, how old are you? And he, and he said, and I said, 68. He says, man, you're really getting old. I says, Greg, how old are you? He says, I'm going to be 65 next week. Come on, we're getting old, right? And so there, there are just certain times in life when we kind of ponder the meaning of life, looking ahead, looking back to our past, and we're just wondering, have we, have we done everything that we wanted to do? Have we accomplished everything that we wanted to accomplish, particularly for the Lord in our ministries, in our, our callings? You know, sometimes we, we ponder, did I do a good job in raising my family? We've raised five kids. All of my children are grown up, and they have families of their own now. We've got a bunch of grandchildren running around. And, you know, we reflect upon that. And we think, did I do a good job or, or didn't I do it? When I hear the stories of what some other parents are going through, I think that I was the greatest father that ever lived, actually. But I know, of course, that's not the, the truth. But, you know, I think about it. Did I, did, everything, did I do everything that I could have possibly done to make that investment in my children? and instill within them that godly heritage. And I'm so thankful that every one of my children are serving the Lord, right? And uh, many attend this church here at, at Harvest. Or some other special occasion, whatever. Like, for example, New Year's. Oh, boy, New Year's is a biggie here. Right? This is a great example. And as we ponder the future, looking back on both our successes as well as our failures, you know, we look behind and we think about all of the successes we had but then also we consider some of the failures that we experience. We wonder what we have made of our lives. And we look to the future. And I, I think I got a couple, of, a couple of good years still ahead of me, you know? And Greg and I were both talking about that as we were uh, grabbing lunch together. And Greg said, I, you know, I think I, could, I, I think I can go to at least 70 years old, he said. I think I got another, 
at least five good years ahead of me. And I said, yeah, I think you're going to be able to go even longer than that. And then he mentioned Chuck Swindoll, which is a friend of Greg's. I, I, I've never met Chuck Swindoll, but he's, I know he's a close friend of, of Greg's. In fact, they, they both ride Harley-Davidson motorcycles. And the difference between Greg and, and Chuck Swindoll is Greg is 65, and Swindoll is like 80, 80 what? 82? 82 years old. So I says, Greg, I think you could probably go even longer than that, you know. You know, as we're looking to the future. We also look to the past, as I've already mentioned. Maybe regretting the way that we conducted ourselves hitherto, or right up into the present. Maybe we're aware of some dissatisfaction, you know, in our lives at the present time. We know we have not done what we should have done, or all that we could have done, or intended to do. We are, you know, you get into that kind of funk. I'm going to get around to it someday, but you know how that goes. Someday never comes for many of us. God help us. Anyway, we are aware of a sense of failure and inadequacy. And uh, we look at our lives and things remain the same. Nothing has ever changed. And at the same time within us is the desire to do better in the days that lie ahead. Well, anyway, those are just some of the thoughts that tend to come to us as we pause at any point in life and look backwards, look forwards, considering life and what life is all about. And listen, let me tell you something. God is concerned about our being successful. God is concerned about our lives being blessed and full and rich. God is into that. Remember, you're one of his children. And even as our fathers, and I hope you, that you've had that kind of a father or, or mother or, or parent who, who always wished and wanted the best for you and did whatever they could, made sac great sacrifice. I mean, think of the great sacrifice and the extent that God our Father went to so that our lives might be rich and blessed. He sent his only begotten son into this world to die in our place so that we might have fellowship with him. Well, anyway, if there's something centrally wrong with your life, here's what this message is all about. It's time to bring it before God and change it. And, and also, here's some good news. It's never too late. It's never too late to do that. Now, the Bible, God's word, is very concerned about all of this. It actually is one of its greatest central concerns. And it has one great remedy for all of man's problems. So if there are any regrets, failures, inadequacies, you felt as if you, know, you haven't arrived, you haven't reached that goal, and, and there's so much more to accomplish. Well, according to the Bible, the one big thing that matters is that we should be right with God. If you're right with God in your relationship with God, and this has been my experience, things just fall into place. You don't need to go elsewhere or look elsewhere for your life to be full, rich, and blessed. Just make sure, it's just as simple as this, and prosperous, and I'm not preaching a health and wealth gospel here, by the way. I'm just talking about enjoying life, whatever that may be, in your calling, what God has purposed to do in and through your life. It all rests upon, falls back upon, is dependent upon your relationship with God. It's a, this book, the Bible, is a book of great principles. And it looks out upon mankind 
trying to improve himself, not according to God's plan or God's blueprint or God's instructions, and says, yes, that's all right. Get the education, do this, that, and the other thing to improve your life's experience. I'm just using that as one example. But the problem is, is listen, and this is what the Bible would suggest. And I'm not putting down education. I mean, education is a very good thing. In fact, if you want to get a high-paying job, you better have an education. But the problem is, is that if you place God aside in all of this and trying to reach those kinds of goals, you're only treating the symptoms. We've forgotten the problem at the source for experience that rich, full life that God intended us to experience. And it always brings us back, that is, the Bible always brings us back to the source, which is that the most important thing of all is having a right relationship to God, a right relationship with God. To put it another way, all our troubles in life, according to the Bible, are ultimately due to the fact that we are in a wrong relationship to God. You know, when you measure success by the world's standards, I mean, here's, here's someone who has the education, who has the great job, is making a lot of money, is providing for their family, but they're absolutely miserable. And it's true. They're absolutely miserable. And they're always looking elsewhere for fulfillment and satisfaction. And there's no stability within their life. So all of the things that they've accumulated over their lifetime isn't fulfilling and isn't satisfying at all. That has been the biblical diagnosis for thousands of years and it is as true now as it has ever been. Because you can accumulate all of those things. If you don't have a right relationship with God, you're still void and empty and still unfulfilled. So many of our ills, many of our problems, our unhappiness ultimately comes back to the fact that we've wandered away from God, that we are not in the right relationship to him. And the Bible says that until we come back to that true and right relationship, the truth of the matter is nothing's going to help you. Nothing, absolutely nothing is going to help you because you're not going to be able to fulfill that void in your life without having a meaningful relationship with God because that's, why, that's the way you were created. Now talk about difficulties. I want you to think about the guys and gals who are recommended to us in that chapter in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 that's known as the Hall of Faith chapter. And all of those people who are recommended to us there, all of those biblical characters, had extremely trying times, trouble in their life's experience. But nevertheless, they were the heroes of the faith. And they were people who triumphed over everything that life threw at them. What was their secret? Well, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's no secret at all. It was their relationship to God. And that's how they got through life's difficulties. They suffered terrible trials. Trials greater than you'll ever experience. They endured adversity. It was because they were right with God that they were made independent of circumstances and chance, conditions, and surroundings. And that's the only explanation that can be offered. These are the things which John is dealing with in these two verses of Scripture. Now tell me if that wasn't the longest introduction 
of a message that you've ever heard me give him before. Okay. But here's the good news. We're already halfway through the message, okay? So don't sweat it. So John then, let's go back to our text of Scripture. He's writing to the young Christian church, which is confronted by extreme difficulty, problems, like, for example, worldliness. Remember, they were in a minority. They were just a little few. They were a little group. (laughs) Think about that, right? They were surrounded by problems, worldliness, trials, tribulation, uh, during the first three centuries of the Christian church. Over six million Christians were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Talk about tribulation, right? So what could he say to those believers that were members of that first century church? What could he say to them? What advice does he offer them? Well, there you have it, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it again. We'll go back to our text. He says, my little children. And notice the way he greets them, like a grandfather, my little children. And by the way, those of us who are in positions of leadership, this is the way that we ought to treat the members of our congregation, as little children, like our kids. We're old enough. We got, these, some of these people could be our kids, right? I mean, that's how old we are. But anyway, here's the advice. He says, my little children. It's a term of endearment. My little children. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. Bringing them back, right, to the source of all of their problems, all of their difficulties, right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So basically, here's the advice. Don't sin, but if you do, turn to Christ. If you're taking notes, you might want to write those two things down. Okay? Don't sin, but if you do, turn to Christ. And so as John looks at these people and addresses them, and as he looks back across his own life, he sees certain dangers that always confronts us as Christians. What are some of those dangers? How about complacency? I've been walking with the Lord now for 38, 40 years, and I got the whole thing wired, and I put in my time, you know, kind of a thing. I've read the Bible once through. There's nothing really that I need to learn anymore. I've learned it all. I mean, come on, give me a break. And we become so complacent. We're really, the truth of the matter is we're stuck in neutral. We just plop ourselves down in those seats and we stand when we're asked to stand. And when they sing our favorite songs, we lift up our hands. And then we put them down after that and we sit back down and just kind of zone out. And we're so complacent. We're not thinking about new creative ways of serving the Lord or making an investment here or beginning a new ministry here or getting involved in a, in a ministry that's already established here. And we're just stuck in neutral complacency. It's so easy to fall into that kind of a funk. So that's one of the dangers. So how about compromise? I mean, all of these new churches with all of these crazy new names are springing up all over the place, right? They're like kind of giving us their people half-truths. And there's not much that can differentiate them between Christianity and the world. And that's the hook. That's what draws the young people in. And it's more of a show 
in a rock and roll concert, and listen, I like rock and roll, don't misunderstand, and I like concerts. I love to go to concerts. That can't take the place of true Christianity. We need to be very careful about this as well. Compromise. Christians are, are compromised today. We need to be careful about that as well. Hopelessness. Depression. Well, all of these things that we're confronted with. What's the answer? The answer is recorded for us right here in verses 1 and 2. Here's what you and I have to do and what God in his infinite grace is always ready to do for us. These are the two things we must always bear in mind if we are to enjoy true fellowship with God. If this is right, it doesn't matter what comes your way. Whatever your experience, whatever life throws at you, whatever the devil will throw at you, you will be triumphant. Don't sin, but if you do, turn to Christ. Now let's consider that phrase, sin not. Let's go back to our text. What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's, I guess we ought to talk about what sin is. What is sin? Well, literally, it means missing the mark. And by definition, basically, when you think about this, by definition, here, here's just a working definition, a basic definition, is this is someone who is disobeying God's laws that have been revealed to us in the Bible. Anything that is condemned in the Bible. Because in the Bible, there are just certain prohibitions that are recorded for us. Now, why should we not sin? Well, you look at all of these prohibitions, break them down, and disobey God's laws, and you'll never have fellowship with God. Because that's the one thing that separates you from him. That's the one thing that separates you from his blessing. And sin also means disobeying your conscience. Because God innately has placed within you a conscience, this mechanism, that sort of is, regulates those things so that you can determine whether they are right or wrong. It's sort of like an inward monitor, if you will, that voice telling us not to do it, that called us to stop. It's telling you, you can't do that. We knew it was wrong, but sometimes we do it anyway, right? And our conscience begins to prick us. It kind of begins to work against us. Sin means that our lives are governed by desires, by lusts, things again prohibited by God and not the truth of the word. The things that are right or wrong. Let me sum it up this way. It's living a life not governed by God. The thoughts of God are not at the center of our lives. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long that's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting harvestnyc.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House. In my Father's house.